Ross Baton. This is Roleplaying Public Radio, RPPR episode 83, Maps and Legends. And with me, as always, is Mr. Dom Church. All right. So you wait You wait to my name to use the announcer voice. Your name deserves the announcer oh, voice. Man, I go I go out of town for a couple weeks, and this is, I get this. You do. This, this, you, is, this is amazing. You Thank do. you, Ross. You deserve it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Anything to make you feel more at home. I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so news. Don't make some, don't make something dirty out of that. <laughs> I thought we had. I thought this show was a higher class. Yeah, it's it is a it is a true bromance. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, anyways, we uh, we're this episode is going to be about talking about maps and travel in games and mm-hmm. uh, chill. Why you know in real life travel is an adventure and why in role playing games it's kind of like. Let's get yeah, – how do we get to the next fight? So Yeah, pretty much. Or the or the next encount, the next encounter. Right. So we'll talk about more than that in a little bit. But first, of course, we have news uh, for the yeah. podcast. I, I'll uh, actually go first this time. Yeah, well, first off is the big thing, which is the Base Raiders progress report. Okay, sorry. Ross will go first. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's, uh, like, it's like, Tom, you silly, silly person. People paid money for Base Raiders, Tom. They, wanted, they, they demand to know. Uh, as you can see on this uh, uh, site – for uh, RPPR, and of course, I'll post this on the Kickstarter as well. The uh, I've gotten maps in for the Zombie Factory, which is, of course, one of the stretch goals for base raiders. It is a fully fledged, abandoned superhero base. Uh, so, but Zombie it, Factory, right? Are zombies like a good uh, commercial product? Well, no. It's it's more like cloning vats of filled with cloned superheroes that get zombified. Ah, so and they're trapped in there. Is it and, you know profitable? No, it was done by a superhero who's kind of had a secret double life. wasn't no. quite as heroic as ever. Because I mean, he, he was cloning superheroes. One of those Hallmark movies, except Brain. it involves you know, yeah. zombies. Yeah. So uh, I'll, the Kickstarter will have a little more description, a little more teaser thing. But we got some really great maps. Uh, I have seen them. They do look awesome. Yeah, uh, they got a very cool blueprint look on it. And uh, so keep your eye on that. I'm making a lot of progress on the book uh, I, right now. Of course, I've been. Copying all the strange fate rules, the OGL material from the Kerberos Club Fate Edition, and rewriting it for use in Base Raiders because the Kerberos Club is a Victorian era superhero game, and even the OGL material is kind of written from a Victorian standpoint. Standpoint, so you don't really in Base Raiders it wouldn't make sense to be talking about Queen Victoria and oh, the, you know, uh, fisticuffs. Like you don't really call no. the unarmed combat skill fisticuffs. That doesn't really. That's like that's not cricket. Yeah, yeah, that is a sticky wicket there. So, uh, so bully. Yes, bully. There we go. So I, I kind of had to. It's like fifty thousand mm. words of material. Maybe to for go a future ransom, we'll do a whole episode and speak in Victorian speak. Or we could do a ransom to not do that. I will. We could see <laughs> if it succeeds. We will not. We could hold. We could host two competing Kickstarters and see which one you know uh, uh, gets the gets the goal first. Uh, it'd be an interesting social experiment. So we are all about academics. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's one of the things. It's uh, 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 so that I'm. You know, fifty thousand words of OGL rules. And material, going over, revising it, adding the new rules, which, you know, the goals, the power interaction rules, uh, and the base creation stuff. So 
Uh, that's what I've been working on currently. I've got a bunch of artists commissioned to start work on uh, artwork for the chapter. So we'll I'll be of course releasing more of that artwork as we we go on. But you know, full steam ahead, making a lot of progress on it. Sounds great. Uh, so yeah, and uh, upwards and onwards. Yep. And uh, as you might have known, I was gone the last episode. Yeah. Because I was in Seattle. Yes, you and, were not. And it was a. It was a diverse place, so it might as well have been, you know, Mars for me. Yes, yeah. Mid-kid from the Midwest. Well, it's not just the Midwest. Like, there are very diverse places in the Midwest. It's that you're from Springfield, Missouri. And for the listeners, especially those who are not in the United States, Springfield, Missouri is located in the middle of the goddamn country. And this is literally one of the most white-bred towns least like buckle it, of the bible belt type. Uh, yeah, place. I mean, we it's it's a college town too. There are like five universities here. Uh, so there's a lot of educated college students and everything, but like this town is like 92 percent white. It's really white, like it's like cr- sour it's cream. It's embarrassing, white. White. yeah. It, it, it is, and so so to, it's not. It, it's getting better. It's getting more. I mean, diverse. I went to. I mean, I went to Washington D.C. on an eighth grade trip. Yeah, but I think I was still a little too young to really appreciate just yeah how not typical Springfield is. Yeah. Uh, so for the rest of the country. Yeah, so, it, it, so me going there at 32 to Seattle. Yeah. And walking through an actual Chinatown was, you know, like, like I'm walking into another world. You know, it's even better than walking into a Chinatown, Tom. Walking in China. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. You know who's done that? This like, who has two, what has two thumbs and went to China? This guy. No, 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 it was me. It was me. Not I know, not, but I was th- I was doing what you would do. I, I know, but you didn't point your thumbs at me. I'm serious. Ross, come on. I don't do that. <laughs> but no, uh, actually, right. I, I, you know, fun fact, while I was there, I actually texted him like, hey, I'm actually eating in Chinatown right now. And Ross said, yeah, get back to me when you've eaten some with a, something with a face on it. I just told you to eat something with a face. I didn't, you know, because that's real Chinese food. If it still has its face on. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that that? Well, not all Chinese food is like that. But you said you said you know do that. Yeah, but yeah, that's real. But not all real Chinese food has still has the face on. But all food with the face on is real Chinese food. Yes. So that's the only way you can be sure you're eating real. That's Chinese. the only way to be sure. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but uh, it was. I'll be talking about that later. But I know I miss you guys. It's like I miss my family. Oh. But you guys are. <laughs> oh. I mean. Caleb and Air did a good job, but I missed you. Did you even listen to that episode? Yes. Oh, okay. Of course I did. Like, like man, like oh, I got to hear this. Yeah, i basically it was eighty percent. Like I got to hear what these guys say. Twenty percent. You will not replace me. <laughs> <laughs> you sons of bitches. Yeah. You need me. I'm the only one with job security because I do all the work editing and uploading the guy. I know, episode. and I keep and I keep slightly dropping hints like hey ross maybe i'll learn to do some of this so i can take some of the pressure off you yeah and i then i just look at you yeah and you have this hopeful look about you yeah you oh god and then i break your heart (laughs) over and over again you monster i learned it from watching you uh, all right. Anyway, so that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, in other news. Uh, Raillery, uh, still uploading videos for that. Aaron and I have done a run-through uh, through a Portal 2 course, the Art Therapy, which mm-hmm. was a second Valve made uh, DLC course. Uh, so I'll be that'll be uploaded by the time this episode goes on the air. I broke it up into eight parts. There's nine maps. I don't even know. I just broke so it up. Much- We'll, we will be adding new content <laughs> yeah. to the internet. Uh, so I got other stuff planned for Raillery. I'm going to focus more on doing Let's Plays. Uh, single mm-hmm. player stuff. I, I I actually Tom, 
was a good time. Do you want to do a, a Aliens Colonial Marines like a, a co-op playthrough of that? Possibility, yeah. I'm also possibility. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say yes. We're going to do it now. Well, it has, isn't out, Tom. But when it does come out, will you get that game? I will get that. We we can sw- swear a blood pack. Buy that game and just download it, install it, and beat it. I've also got to get the uh, Mortal Kombat controller. Well, I don't that for the 360. That that's you know. I don't have that device. That that that, that device costs money to record. Well, that. I'm going to get it. Okay. All right. I will swear a blood oath to that. <laughs> but I'm not going to. Aliens, Colonial Marines. How? Uh, I, I'm not just going to make blood oaths willy nilly. Well. All right. Like I swear a blood oath that I will wear orange tomorrow. Well, that's a pretty easy one to keep. Yeah. But I'm not going to make it willy nilly. Well, blood oath has to be special, Ross. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But it's for the listener. Well, the viewers, because they'll be watching it on YouTube. Uh, anyway, uh, in other news, Better Angels. Uh, we've talked about this on and off throughout the show. It's the we new have. Arc Dream RPG from Greg Stolze. Uh, it's about demons and superheroes and angels and supervillains and why do supervillains fail? And the answer is because demons possess them and they really want to fail. Uh, because you don't want – if you succeed, you go to hell. Right. So we've started playing that. We've done a one-shot. Started, I think, is the right word. Yeah, we've, we've done a one-shot uh, at the time of this recording. We haven't quite finished it. It will be – as soon as we finish it on Monday night, I'll I'll go ahead and upload it. And so that will be the next actual play on the site. So by the time this episode comes out, you'll you'll be able to listen to it. And you and, will know. And you'll be able to li- – we'll talk about it in the anecdote, You know some of our highlights of it. Uh, it's a very interesting game. Caleb's going to start running. That's his next campaign. It's going to be Better Angels. I think it's going to be shorter than No Evil. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, in other, I'm going to. I'm started planning Knights Black Agents in yeah. uh, Tokyo. Uh, everyone's going to be a you know going to focus on Yakuza and otaku and uh, you know Japanese vampires, but not vampires of the East. It's going to be my own crazy version of vampires. Oh, It'd be okay. awesome. So, so are they protected from uh, the sun by sunglasses, and they drive around in a motorhome? Wouldn't you, Tom? No, no. This is Tokyo, not the American Southwest. So motorcycles. Actually, they could. They, yeah. they, there's a lot of there are mo- mo- motorcycle games. Said you said motorhome. I thought you said motorhome. Yes, I did the first time. Yeah, because yeah. I was making a reference to something else. Near dark. No. Really. Oh, well, there's two movies. Your vampires where they protect themselves with sunglasses and drive around in a motorhome. Oh, yeah, that that there's okay. there's to be fair, Tom, there are two movies with that. And I've blocked that the one you're actually referring to out of my mind as much as I possibly can. Well, you were you were directing it, Ross. I know. That's why. How could you forget (laughs) (laughs) through sheer will and determination? Well, that's down the shitter. (laughs) Yeah, now. Thanks. All right. So uh, Better Angels is coming. Um, and speaking also of Caleb, uh, he Fall Without End uh, from Heaven on Games, part of his No Security Kickstarter, yep. uh, has finally been released. It's the mountain climbing scenario. I don't think we have actually posted that actual play of it yet. I know. I uh, don't believe we have. A, we've seen it, the, the people who paid into that ransom have listened to it, but no one else. So I'll, I'll, I'll have to grab that and put that on the site. Yeah. And um, Ian Moody did some great artwork for it. He did. He did. Uh, two awesome. pictures. Yeah. Uh, so there's already a review of it online that's very glowing. And it's another reason why we wanted to do this episode because it's about an travel. expedition. Yeah. yeah travel. Traveling up a mountain. So, As uh, opposed to down a mountain, which right. apparently is easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, You're welcome, should, Caleb. Um, Palladium skill roll a joke for you. 
Yeah, so we already talked about the Seattle trip. And then finally, the last thing, uh, the No Evil Fan Creation Contest, we've already got people. There's I've already seen, been a yeah. couple of submissions in it, and there's already a couple of works in progress. I'm really excited about this. We're all really excited about it. Uh, I, I, I want to I change one of the rules, though, uh, because I realized it would probably make Create better. I'm going to give it two weeks after I – the deadline will be two weeks after I post the last episode of the No Evil campaign. So you will have time to recreate your stuff based on the final continuity yeah. of the campaign. So uh, – because uh, things obviously change and in sometimes the final they, Sometimes they even get real. They do. So uh, if you wanted to you wanted to wait, you know, do an epilogue story based on one of the characters on what happens to them because the clip space, you can be reasonably certain that some, ver- you know, there's backups and backups and backups, you know, and fire. Oh, yeah. uh, or not. Who knows? Ooh, uncertainty. Uh, Take that, Al-Qaeda. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so uh, those are some things to think about. And I think that covers all the news uh, yeah, for now. So. We we had a lot because you've been gone so long. I've just been throwing, you know, poor Tom. Been very busy. So oh, yeah. Very <laughs> it, busy recreating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so maps and legends, uh, travel and role-playing games, and the use of maps in role-playing. Is that, we've talked about this tangentially a long well, time ago. But it was more about and, using minis and maps. It's more about props, yeah. yeah. In, and this is more – not like a prop map necessarily. No. This could be like player made maps or just maps. Now, of uh, course, you know your. Uh, one, I like maps. Now, of I, course, your one video you made, I think, had the best prop ever. Mm. When you just plop Mufune down in there, like the Chaos Dragon. Yeah, no, he is. He's a, a good actor. Lizards are pretty good actors. They're they they, they work they, for food and they take direction. Well, they don't. They're not like dogs or cats where they want to move all the time. They're no, but if you need to, like, you just st- stay right there. Yeah, as long as he hasn't been heated up by sunlight. Anyways, we're we're getting off on a tangent. Uh, travel in role playing games. Uh, I think the the thing the the central dilemma for me, or the central interesting conundrum, uh, I think conundrum is the right mm-hmm. word for it, for role for travel in real life versus role playing games. I mean, there's obviously many differences between those, uh, but you know, role playing games are ostensibly ostensibly ostensibly. Thank you. Um, bleh. Word. Modeled on real life in some way, either real life legends or just mm-hmm. real life, real life, and in a in real life and in real life legends and heroes mm-hmm. and myths and stories and fiction, travel is a big deal. It's an adventure, almost all. You know, the journey. Yeah, is the, the travel is the adventure. Yeah, the travel is the adventure. Getting there is you know. More is better than destination, or whatever that yeah. saying is. I mean, you maybe if you get there, you'll get to say uh, Doctor Livingston, I presume. Yeah, Doctor Livingston. But you know, a lot of our real life heroes and a lot of real life adventurers and a lot of mythic adventurers have been travelers. They're, that's no, you know, everybody from Marco Polo to Odysseus mm-hmm. to uh, Columbus, Coronado, Coronado. Yeah, I mean Magellan. The, the, yeah, yeah. Even in real life, or even in the modern day, you have deep sight. You see, you know, like. Uh, even going down to the Challenger Deep, uh, yeah, Challenger Deep, or going up on top of Everest, or going in space. People that travel, or that, from, yeah, uh, or that one guy that did, you know, that skydived from partially in low Earth, or, low Earth orbit. Oh, the Red Bull guy. Yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, dude was badass. So 
that's a very specific kind of travel. But so, still, uh, and even but even even in less extreme things, people who travel always think it's it's a changing experience. It's, it's it presents a lot of challenges, uh, and it it gives them experience. Literally, they they go up in levels. You know, they gain language skills, they gain adaptability. You know, mm-hmm. or etiquette. You know, they learn how to deal with other people, and it's always considered a good thing, a positive at least in Western civilization right. you know like oh yes being a well-traveled person is a good you know it's a life-affirming thing so why is it in role-playing but you know on conversely in role-playing games travel is just almost always abstracted well, or- i say i think to me that to me the best best exa- you, know, exa- you know example of how to visualize travel in role-playing games is just the map scenes from indiana jones mm-hmm. essentially there's one one scene ends now we're traveling it just shows the line on the map and then the movie depicts up when we arrive at the at the next dot. I mean, that's a good point. Uh, they are almost all. I mean, obviously in D anD D, the classic thing is like you move these hexes on the mm-hmm. overland map, and I'll roll to see if there's a random encounter. If not, you know, you you eat this many rations, mm-hmm. you use as many fatigue points. Here's the weather, random table, random table, and random table. Cue sleep music. Yeah, then we do it all again. Yeah. I mean, and even in video games, travel is a big deal. Like, uh, just real, the Oregon Trail. You know, it's kind of all about travel. Yeah. Uh, so, Fallout New Vegas to an extent. Fallout New Vegas, especially on hard, on, finding, on, on hardcore mode. Well, even in even in uh, normal mode, that it's there, like you finding get, all those little things. Yeah, those. Yeah, so you you could just wander over and it's like, oh, there's a thing that I didn't see before. Yeah, Skyrim to me is the same way. Skyrim, you know, lots of open world RPGs yeah. are like that. Sandbox games, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. So why is there this disconnect between everything else and tabletop role-playing games? I mean part of it I think is simply um, lack of resources in the sense that you know the, the biggest – one of the biggest bottlenecks of a tabletop game is the, the, the brain power, the brain – the number of you know, processing cycles mm-hmm. the GM has because really everything, every rule, everything has to – Go through that GM's brain and come out his mouth. You know, I know that sounds a little gross, but uh, Ross, get your mind out of the gutter, (laughs) right? But yeah, I I know what you're saying. But because so he's got like I've got the story. All right, they've got to kill the dragon at the bottom of the dungeon. You know, and there's actually travel involved in that. But every he's focusing on the fights. You know, Mm -hmm. fight A, fight B. Trap one, trap two, trap three, blah, blah, blah. He can't really focus everything he does to make the travel scene itself seem more interesting um, or more of a, a, an important element he, that's less brain power, less resources available for the fight. You know, and you can, I mean, you can only keep track of so much shit. And it, actually, I think it's the same thing with the players, too. Yeah. I mean, this is just, I mean, I'm, mo- I'm more often than not, I'm a player than a GM, but. I think it works both ways, especially if you're involved in like an, an ongoing game and a story. You really just want to get to the next part of it, you know. Especially if you're into the story, like I need to see where this goes next. Right. So you're not really. I mean, and if to find out the next part of the story, you have to go, you know, across. T- I mean, whether it's across town, across the state, or somewhere else, you don't want to. You don't really care. You want you just want to get there. Right. So. I think in most games, the travel is kind of just glossed over because it's the destination that's the, that's important. Right. Because, again, there's only like – you can only really focus on so much at a time in a game and you can't like – you know, even in a video game role-playing game like Skyrim or New World, they have hundreds of people. They have, you know, 
artists to create all the terrain. They have mappers who create. Yeah, and there's um, there's almost very rarely a boring piece of map. Right, because they spend fucking years on this. They they look at every. They just focus on one piece of map at the time, and then they slowly assemble it. So there's been exponentially more work mm-hmm. on this one world than there is in any one. Never GF. mind. Never mind when DLC comes out, and they yeah. they keep improving it. Right. So uh, it, it 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 you know you can kind of see why it's like that. Um, I think I think that's sort of the main thing, and also because you know games are often focus on what what is actually fo- in the game mechanics you know D is about fighting you know <laughs> most role-playing games are about fighting so that's the kind of stuff that gets up there aren't re- you know travel rules are kind of sort of pre- presented as an attrition problem you know yeah like, like, yeah this is how many how much resources you have to use to go here yeah yeah it's like you, if you have the fuel for it basically you know your iron rations and Blah blah blah. Then you can go there, and you know D- a lot of D and D stuff is based on leaving that or removing it altogether. Oh, wizard teleport spells. Oh, wind walk. Oh, this. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the games, you know, travel. You could just eliminate that completely. Right. So, uh, well, not completely. I mean, or what were you thinking? I think like long distance travel shit. Well, yeah, but yeah, but there's still going to be some travel, you know. Um, because you know, even if you're doing a game centered in a city, you have to go from point A to point B in the town. But, so. but for the most part, people use gloss over that and just get and you get get to point B from A. In fact, right. you know, most of the games I've been in has it's been you know okay we're at point A and now and like oh we figure out what point B is the next scene is we just skip, skip right to point B. Right. So the, the so obviously the main thing is. Is this even? Does this even matter? I mean, role playing games have been around. Certainly, we're not the first person to think think of this. Why does this even matter? And um, I think you know it doesn't necessarily matter. I think not every game needs to focus on travel, but I, I think it's a neglected element that can be used. And I think it's a resource. It's a resource that can make a game fun. Right. It can enhance the enjoyment. If you can actually, I mean, if you if you're still doing you know point A to point B, but you can actually then. And just make and then just make kind of make the trip to point B you know interesting and memorable, right? You know that just makes things all the better. I think you know a lot of people talk about how NPCs the the ones that players remember are often because they just have one quirk. You know the one armed orc, the 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 pirate who talks like the sailor from The Simpsons. You know, like the goblin that has yeah, a voice yeah, that yeah. yeah. yeah so. They're they're always or like or the or the frog race that's too cute for us to not save at every turn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, and, yeah, I think Cody said that like they're too innocent for us yeah. to really harm them. Yeah. So <laughs> so yeah that 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 so I think the thing is you know to get some of that color you don't need to put a lot. I one thing I you know that I'm thinking about this next time I do a game where there's travel I think I'll try and mention one little bit do the same trick but for terrain for the mm-hmm. landscape because the landscape is a character the environment is a character and so just every time the players travel try to mention something that's interesting and not like it's a challenge it's an obstacle there's a, you know if every time they went right. across town there was a fucking so it's like, hey, rock slide like, or hey, a like, fire it's like, hey there's some white chalk cliffs over here over yeah that way. white chalk cliffs very good or you drive across tokyo and you can see a uh, street you know you see an ultra nationalist you know uh, blaring propaganda in front of a corporation, or and, the lights of Shinjuku, or something. Yeah, so, you know, depending on what it is, or you see, you know, a horde of schoolgirls go on their way as they're crossing their street in synchronized fashion. You know, blah blah blah. So just a little bit, I think, would go to would would something to think about. You mm-hmm. know, because a little goes a long way, and I think 
the problem with a lot of games, role playing games that I play through, is they feel they're they're kind of in the same space. Does that make it like they're the same kind of abstracted like? You know when you go in a Final Fantasy thing mm-hmm. and you're walking around this plane, and but every time you go into a fight on this plane or in this forest, it's always the same background graphics when you switch to the battle view. Yeah, and it's like you know in a real forest, it's not the same fucking trees everywhere you, you go. You speak madness. Yeah, yes. it's like if you go on one side of Yellowstone, you take a photo of that, and you look at go to you know walk five miles the other direction, take another photo. Oh my god, the trees are different. Everything's different. You know. Um, that geyser is not quite even as in Skyrim. Skyrim, the trees look different. They don't. Yeah, look there's at, different kinds of trees. Yeah, exactly. So, or different configurations. Okay, now I will say, yes, yeah, slightly off topic. There are a bit too many drawer infested tombs. <laughs> Those do kind of tend to blend together. <laughs> well, it's an invasive species, Tom. They, they've got it. You know, they're just successful in the yes. e- ecosystem. They're like they're like feral cats and like, thank you, Norwegian zombie. rats. Thank you, zombies of the world. You yes, ta- you. It's like the more you know. But I feel like a lot of role-playing games are in the same way in the sense that if we're in the forest, we're in that generic it's a, it's, forest. It's like you are in forest. You are in the – You yeah. see forest. You are in the platonic ideal of forest. You know, There's oh, probably we're in some a trees. warehouse. There's probably yeah. some trees. They're, which are deciduous, which are – And have yeah. they, have, they have brown trunks, green leaves. They have brown trunks, green leaves. There's just some grass in there. They're not too dense. You know, they're not too far apart. They're just enough that you can use them as cover, but you can run between them. You get a horse between them. And if you go in a forest, there are places where you couldn't get a horse across. You know, you, yeah. the trees are too dense or they're too small or they're, you know. Yeah. Like, desert, yeah. Sand. Yeah. Well, there's two types of desert. The American Southwest and then the Sahara. Well, I'm saying in the game, it's sand. Yeah. You got sand. Or it's the Southwest where you have cacti. A and, cacti and, and a tumble, cow skulls. And a tumbleweed. And a tumbleweed. So – I think a lot of role playing games kind of suffer for that because they're always in the same place. So mm-hmm. does that? I mean, do and you it's get- often and oftentimes, and oftentimes the G, I, the GM is just you know he's going like he's trying to get things moving. Yeah. So he doesn't you know he doesn't either either think or have time to you know to explain the, where you are in any great detail. Right. Again, that's again mm-hmm. that limited CPU cycles for using the same thing. Because also, and I'll think like. If a GM does mention something in detail, players will automatically assume there's going to be something you know, because oh he mentioned God, it. Oh my God, you guys totally yeah. There's the, yeah. Like, because you mentioned it, oh well, that must mean something. Yeah, <laughs> which can then result in the players like, well, we're going to check this place out. Like, you yeah. know, like, well, it's you're, even the GM's thinking it's just a forest. Like, well, we're going to look, we're going to look around here. Like, how how long? As long as it takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah, again, yeah. It's like Charlie following the guy, following the Charlie Chaplin because he looks suspicious, you know. So uh, from another episode. And, of course, you – and you know, and oh, and you brought your Molotov cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> so I think – but the, – so I think what I what – my challenge to myself, I, I, which I'm going to do in the Knights Black Agent campaign, is try and come up every, every location, every time they travel, come up with at least one detail – to make it a little different because mm-hmm. I think that if I put one or two details in every description like that, I think players won't – they're not in generic Tokyo, mm-hmm. which is, you know, but they're in a particular Tokyo. Which is city. Yeah, city. With, with an Asian theme. City with Japanese. But yeah, exactly. And yeah, well, in, in many role-playing games, yeah. what's the difference between Beijing and Tokyo? You know, not much. But Yeah, actually in a lot of games, I think most, most cities in – Role playing games are like the city from the Tick, which is just the, called the city. No, that's a good point. That's a really good point. 
And uh, you know, yeah, if they're if they're well, it depends on the genre. Yeah, there's like if it's a superhero thing, they're like that. If it's Lovecraft, they're always in Arkham, regardless of it's, what the city really is, yeah. <laughs> uh, because you know there's always monsters lurking around. Everything is New England, yeah, or it's you know appropriately creepy or whatever, uh, or World of Darkness, you know, which is the the, the city of the crow, you know, mm. and yeah, and I think that's something to be aware of uh, when people are traveling when they're trying looking in their environment because that's when we're looking around. That's what makes us that's what make i mean what makes travel an adventure in real life i mean because seeing stuff you've never seen and experiencing things mm-hmm. you've never seen uh, experienced before talking to people you haven't met seeing a different way of life trying new foods uh you know a different rhythm of life and seattle's very different than different smells different yeah. sights different people uh than springfield so totally totally <laughs> China. Yeah, I, I'll tell you one thing. I was glad I didn't have to drive in that city. Yeah. Because uh, I'd be like, I have no fucking idea where I am. <laughs> right. It's like, and I couldn't find my way anywhere if you told me. Right. I mean, what do we, in, in, in uh, real life, what do we th- notice the first about, you know, a place, you know, if it's the, in, in any general environment, the weather, you mm-hmm. know, the, the people who are there, uh, the temp, you know, well, the temp, which is part of the weather. Uh, the flora and, and fauna. The smell. Yeah, the flora and the fauna. Uh, and, you know, th- details like that. But they, the, the, because, and we don't, uh, obviously, it'd be just like trying to describe everything all the time. But you know when you when you think of a back to a place, there's always like one or two power like w- Seattle. What's first impression? Downtown skyline. That was the first thing I noticed. So you yeah, if you're running a game in Seattle from now on, you describe the downtown skyline. Like the, you know the Columbia Center, the you know, right the Sears, Space the, the Needle. Space Needle. You know, so you mentioned that. You know, um, if I you know I can remember the smell of a particular boxing gym I, I was at years and years ago that I went to as a kid, and I I can I know that smell that you know. That sweat. embedded sweat and balm mm-hmm. and hand wraps that have been used before and that kind. I of, remember the first time I ever walked into Aladdin's castle at the mall. Yeah, just the dark thrum of you know thrum of you know late eighties music. Yeah, I, I just and I, and the red carpet. It had like it had red red carpet with black you know speckles right. in it. I remember that carpet. I could right. like if you I saw that that same carpet anywhere. I know exactly where I saw it from. Right. So this is kind of you know giving this kind of sensory data I think is important for mm-hmm. making games stand out because travel is an important you know that's the kind of stuff you notice when you're traveling to a new place because if you're in the same place you've always been you don't really notice any of that stuff that kind of you I'm in my house I don't really notice anything unless there's something really unusual like oh I need to take the trash out no, like, or the walls are bleeding oh well yeah well it is Tuesday you know? yeah landlord took care of that last week so. <laughs> that's good. So oh, yeah, he, he brought in that you know the witch doctor stick and everything. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, so you know there there is a good reason to have this kind of stuff. You know to think about it in a game. It's but it you know it's obviously not necessary. So what makes so aside from seeing stuff and seeing you know experiencing this kind of passive stuff, what makes a good encounter you know for a travel type of game stuff? You know obviously the the, the typical stuff is. An obstacle, you know, like mm. traffic in a modern game. Or Seattle, you're talking about, you know, obviously some city eats like, for example, the generic city is probably like New York, built on a grid, mm-hmm. straight lines, right angles, pre-planned, everything, pre-planned. Boston, not gonna work. 
<laughs> so if you describe Boston, it's like, oh, yes, you take it right here, take it right here, blah, 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 Fifth Street. Like, that's not a very good Boston game, is it? You know, it's no. not. Uh, there are other cities like that, you know, that are built. Uh, D.C. is kind of like that a little bit. I have been to D.C. Well, I'm just thinking about the way the streets are laid out. Uh, there's a whole thing about like how some cities are built with a grids versus, you know, crazy ass, you know, I have, you know, 18th century European street design. Let's make this street go at this 30 degree angle. This one go at a 50 degree angle in opposite directions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oh goodness. My, oh me. Yes. We are so evil and roundabouts and all this yeah. other shit. So, um, Here's San Francisco. Is, yeah, uh, so getting lost would be so you know obstacles. essentially yeah getting lost. I told you like, in Seattle if if I had to drive around I mm-hmm. would I would not have been able to find my way right because I am utterly un, I was utterly unused to that. So that's layout. a good encounter you know for a, a travel uh, yeah. for if you're traveling you could, like, that'd be good off. actually a good thing for London is emphasize the driving on the other side of the road yeah for American characters yeah mm-hmm. uh, or vice versa for English characters in America. Uh, that yeah, so you so those the, those are the first kind of encounters. I mean, what kind of travel encounters? Ha- I mean, do any come to mind that you've actually used in games before? Um, or I, I, actually, I uh, back in my back in the dark days of Palladium, <laughs> I was running a uh, ninjas and uh, ninjas and super spies. Yeah, and we were we were doing a thing on the autobahn. Yeah, right. Where basically we were going, uh, we were going from one place to another. We were in uh, Germany, and uh, someone just you know the. Did the GM when it wasn't me, but the GM was like, "Oh wait, yeah, this is Germany. They have autobahns there." Yeah. So he um, he had you know he just you know he had us driving and he had guys in like European sports cars flying by us, walking yeah. angrily because we didn't like like we <laughs> none of us knew. Oh, we're on the autobahn now, so we could, we don't have to be driving just this regular speed limit, right? You can be going really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you can find out, you know, I think the Autobahn isn't just like you can go whatever you want through the entire Autobahn. I think they do have some speed limits, mm-hmm. but it varies. So you could look, do research to find out what they are and then spring that on. That. Yeah, like I think that's another big thing, like not knowing the customs of a land. Obviously, the speed limit or, oh, we don't don't touch the cow. Oh, shoot. You know, in, in a game set in India, that would be yeah. kind of big. Uh, or spit on, or spit in like Singapore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's a, so those are the kind of the the obvious things. Um, but I think you know th- those are kind of superficial though. Mm-hmm. You know th- that's kind of the, the low mm-hmm. bearing fruit. And you don't want to do that all the time because then the players will never want to travel because they're just getting you know like oh fuck. It's like, like, oh great, like what do you, like what inconvenience are we going to have now? Yeah. So I mean. The question is, what kind of advantages or what kind of other positive encounters they could they have, or you know, what else can you do for this kind of thing? You know, one thing I I, I think, you know, we also kind of think that the people of a place, you know, in generic RPG land, you kind of assume people of a city are all like this. You know, they're all just like you know, there's office workers and there's right. so what's Japan waitresses like in Tokyo. You're like you get you know like the like the four hundred thousand guys crossing the street all in suits, all right. on a phone, just right. Yeah, that's actually a great example because you know you think about that. Okay, yeah, but their but their skill sets as them as NPCs, they're all going to be basically the same. You know, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, the difference between the skill sets of a Japanese, you know, city and an American city and generic RPG land are going to be minimal at best. But if you think about it in real life, that's not always, that's not going to be true. For one thing, in Japan, kendo, for example, is a big sport there. Mm-hmm. Lots of students practice it in 
uh, school, and some people take it up to seriously. It's a big sport there. So if you were taking like you could have an encounter where oh shit zombies in Tokyo and then you know the players are getting attacked some salary man or some guy could just come out and beat you know help fight with them and attack beating them hell with a boke and you know wooden uh, katana you're like what the fuck is some guy with a wooden katana here it's like because he just got a kendo practice all right he's an office worker yeah. he wants to now you're an American so stick to your razor blade edge credit cards yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that that's kind of the thing that you know is thinking about the people there are going to have different skill sets. What we think of standard, you know, everyone should know, everyone mm-hmm. should be able to do these things is not going to be true everywhere else in the world. You know, not everyone's going to be able to drive, um, or if they do drive, they're probably going to drive a stick. Yeah, you know, automatics aren't nearly as popular, especially like in third world countries. You know, everybody drives stick shift there. Uh, for the most part, because they're just cheaper to make or they're older, you know. Uh, you know, people in Cuba are going to be really good at fixing old cars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, then, you know, there are uh, so you can think about what kind of skill sets the people in the community have and what they're what what kind of what's important to them and what's not important to them, you know, and what's really dangerous for them and what what you know. So there's so there are going to be advantages too. So um, you kind of make the people different you know you think of, you know you don't have to i mean i don't want to like say you stereotype them but you just think about realistically what kind of assets does this yeah. community have what kind of dangers does it have and it can also just be a place but also the time period you're in too oh yeah obviously because uh like actually a good example there's two pl- like there's a place i've gone in two different eras we, one, like, we were running a game set in the 80s yeah in new york city yeah and another i was doing another obviously, i've been in a lot of games where it's new york city now <laughs> but the subway but you know the difference between the subway now and the mm. way it was in the eighties, oh yeah, especially the early eighties. Yeah, like the New York subway, it was a is a completely different thing. Yeah, no, there's there's I I know exactly what you mean. There there's a uh, blog where somebody there uh, took photos of the New York subway in the eighties, and he, there's there's a I I, I think graffiti, I thought I'm like graffiti everywhere. Yeah, just on, like, on the trains. On the Guardian the Angels. Mm-hmm. The Guardian Angels were there out in force. And yeah, you just see these people, these thugs, you know, like a guy just pressing a gun up against a revolver up against this guy's cheek, you know, mugging him. Uh, and then you, in another photo, you see these two just heavily muscled guys and uh, wife beaters, you know, the Guardian Angels, red berets, kind of mm-hmm. just like standing guard. And yeah, it's 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 that would be an adventure in of itself. That but, would be then, a fight. And know? then now yeah. it's one of the safest places in the city. Yeah, exa- exactly. Because they, they really cleaned it up. Oh, and, yeah. Giuliani. Good job. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah it's, that, his one good thing. You know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, this t- completely different. Yeah. And also Times Square. Yeah. What you what what do every what does everyone imagine when they think of Times Square now? Well, now, yeah, tourist attraction, tourist but, Once again, back then it was like a, it was like one of the porn cat centers of the New York City. Yeah. There's like a and grindhouse theaters. Mhm. Not just porn, but really, you know, <laughs> trashy Sex horror films. clubs and Yeah, trashy horror films uh in in sleazy theaters. Uh and yeah, just a very Now rough. it's it's the Disney store. Right. So uh, you know, some some New Yorkers have, must have had mixed feelings about all that mm-hmm. sleaze going away. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's huge differences in time period. So when you when you travel to these places, you kind of think about it. Um, like or yeah. like it's like Cuba versus like 1950s versus yeah now yeah exactly. 
I think you know another thing. So so thinking new environments and trying to make them different, make them mm-hmm. stand out. And again, it's not doing everything, but just char- characterize them like NPCs. Give them a couple of distinguishing traits and kind of uh, think back on it. Um, another thing is not just the places you go to, but the actual physical act of traveling. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be an attrition thing. It should be like a skill check or something. It should be kind of a skill skill challenge or some, some kind of account. One thing I just realized is a lot of times when you're traveling, you don't have all your shit like just at hand. No, it's usually you know. I just I, mean, I just flew for the first time in twenty years. Yeah, yeah. It's most of your stuff is you know stowed away. Yeah, checked around. So or even if you're on a bus or a train it's, or yeah, it's a in the, ship, it's in the compartment. It's in your below. yeah, and you don't always have access to it. So if something happens, you're not going to have all your gear. And so that's an interesting challenge in of itself. Is you know just the 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 very concrete like oh shit my magic yeah. dagger is in my or like locker. crossing borders. Yeah, cross. Oh, crossing borders. That's a great. That's a great point. Because yeah. um, uh, that's not always an easy, fun, exciting thing to do. No, no, no. It's 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 tedious and boring and bureaucratic at the best of times. At the worst of times, dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. Uh, you know, I, I've I've mentioned this game before. The the. Uh, World War II civilian game that I played in, mm. and a big point of that was just traveling across the city because of all the goddamn Nazi checkpoints, and that was like that was a a bluff check every single time we had to go through them, or a stealth check to avoid them was just like, hey guards, and the guards like papers please, and you're like give you here's my f- papers, they totally aren't forged, no, not right. at all. What are you doing? Why are you going out there? I'm going to do civilian things. I'm going to <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fish outside. <laughs> Right over there. Like, I I I left my I, pole there. Yeah, I'm going to yeah I'm going to fish and get fish, and that's what I'm doing. And I'm not sneaking off to an isolated cabin to shoot some Nazis. No, I no, mean, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> crazy talk. No fishing. fishing. <laughs> totally fishing. Yeah. No, we we shot some Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, that was a good game. Uh, so. That's that's a really good point. And uh, or actually, any games like I've been in a lot of games set during the Cold War, and like you know that that Berlin, the East West Berlin checkpoint. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you you kind of have a, a, a lot of things about that. I think you know also then there's the act of piloting or navigating. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. getting lost earlier, but there's always the possibility of finding something unexpected along the way. And you know, a lot of people don't like random encounter tables in games, but in certain types of games, I really like them. Uh, because it has, again, it's the, it's the closest thing you're going to get to the real life where you don't know what you're going to see mm-hmm. down the road. When you go down down this hex, no one knows what you're going to encounter. It could be a kobold by himself, 1D100. Yeah, fishing. <laughs> or it could be a basilisk. And you're fishing, sh- also fishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't, yeah. yeah Everything sure, fishes. Okay, Ross. I'm sorry. I, I was. I'm wrong. Yes, I will obviously. <laughs> Even the gelatinous cube is fishing. How? We don't ask. <laughs> we just we 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 just we just look at the gift that the gods gave us and just accept things for what they are. Really, the cube is one. The gelatinous cube. Because if you think about it, you will go mad. Yeah. I thought I was created because dungeon, you know, uh, game masters, dungeon masters were lazy. Like, oh, what's a monster I could totally screw? How about one that's the exact size of this corridor they're traveling down, and it's translucent, so they don't really see it, and it swallows them whole, leaving. Because I saw the blob. Yeah, but I want, 
I like the the solidity of Jello molds. So, is it, or no? I'll, I'll bet you it was probably someone sitting at an office at Wizards of the Coast years ago eating some TSR, Jell- TSR, TSR, like eating Jello. Like, wait a minute, <laughs> guys, 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 monster. You know, actually, a lot of uh, uh, the original classic D and D monsters were made because they got these cheap plastic toys from some generic Chinese manufacturer that didn't have names on them. And they were just like... Let's name these. Yeah, let's name these and give them power. So like, this, hey, this cricket thing, Rust Monster. This thing, Owlbear. This square. Gelatinous cube. It's like, well, like, well that's not going to work. No, 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 no. Gelatinous. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's smoke some pot. <laughs> yeah, probably. And Coke. You know, I actually found out Gary Gygax was a uh, very f- staunch Christian who uh, – <laughs> there was some letter that was published a little while ago talking about his interpretation of uh, the Bible on some theological issue. I can't remember what it was. But he was – what I found reassuring was he was a grognard about the Bible mm-hmm. as well as his own rules. Like, no, the Bible says this, so it's, it has to be interpreted exactly this way. You know, it's like – You're like, yes, yes, sir, Gygax. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. It was, yeah. Oh, it was about Christmas. He doesn't celebrate Christmas. Because like Christmas isn't in the Bible, therefore it's not a Christian holiday. It's just a re, you know reclaimed uh, pagan holiday. So we don't cre- celebrate in my house. I'm like, wow. He, he, at least he's consistent. If he's going to be like a rules lawyer about the game, he could be a rules lawyer in real life. In real life, Grognard about God that, bless so. you, Gary Gygax. <laughs> yes, God bless you. Uh, so I, I'm actually oh speaking of that, there's a Gygax magazine coming out, a new gaming magazine. Really? Yeah. Nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to taking taking a look at that. Uh, they they're gonna have writers like Dennis Eller and Corey Doctorow writing for the first issue. So, I don't know. awesome, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, let's go back to maps because we mentioned about maps uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing about maps, um, I, I remember the, the the one game I used maps to great effect, and it was back in the D20 era. Actually, right after Iron Heroes came out like 2005, 2006, and I forget which company it came, it came up with the Wilderlands box set. The Wilderlands was actually one of the first D&D settings mm-hmm. back in the 70s. That's how old it was. But they re- took all the – so there's reams and reams and reams of material for it, and they revised it, and they made it compatible with D20, you know, th- you know OGL 3.5 or whatever. So what I did is I, you know what? Let's do an Iron Heroes campaign. This rule set looks awesome. Yeah, I was not in this game. I know I've never played Iron Heroes. I, I mentioned it before. Yeah, this is the first Iron Hero, first uh, first Iron Heroes campaign uh, I've I've run, and I was with Patrick and Karee. Uh, Jason was in it, and a guy named Tim who moved away. And what we what I did literally was tomorrow says, you see this huge ass map. You're in a kingdom to the west of it. Your 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 kingdom is sir kingdom not appearing in this campaign. <laughs> You've been sent, just basically told go east and find shit out, and then come back and tell us about it. Uh, just just go check it out. You know, like mm-hmm. get out of here. So I just you start on this hex, and the great thing about this whole campaign setting, which I loved, was that it was these these huge maps, and each hex was numbered, and then they had like two books and like. This is hex one sixteen. All right, well, you open the book up. Hex one sixteen. There's a weird statue of a lizard thing there, overgrown with bushes. There's fifteen copper buried underneath it. DC ten search check to find every single fucking hex. Nice. Or like not every single hex, but like 
fucking hundreds of hexes were named and described. Some of them were just like, there's some big farmers here. The other one was like, there's an entire dungeon and an evil wizard guarding it. You know, here's a massive city. You know, it was just this crazy ass, like, literally like, all right, you're, which hex are you going to? We'll go to this one. Uh, all right, this happened. This is what you see. You know, so that's that was the campaign. There are worse ways to spend an evening. And the players basically went east. So they got the capital city of this empire, or of this kingdom. They started a riot. And some of them Because they're players. Yeah, because they're players. <laughs> and uh, it ended... It, yeah, they, they overthrew a kingdom and became, you know, powerful lords. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. <laughs> that's literally it. Like, or, that's Remember literally... the uh, pirate game we did back at uh, uh, yeah. Geekers? Yeah. Because I... It's still all love because the way it was described. But basically, we had we had Jack Sparrow, Jack Sparrow, Jack Sparrow, <laughs> and yeah. like and a sorcerer and Jack Sparrow. Yeah, and, and it was all about like this. Like it's a yeah. You're going to circumnavigate the globe, and that's yeah, that all we had. I could run that game now. I wouldn't do it in D twenty though. I'd probably do it in Rain. But yeah, uh, or in Thirteen Age whenever that comes out. But yeah, that was that was really fun, and that that was just a very uh, travel. It was travel focused travel, and it was a great campaign. I wish I had the record. The, well, the recorder hadn't been released yet. The Zoom H two. This was but, back in the dark ages. Yeah, uh, this is yeah the mat that campaign, Master Nair Lothotep. Oh man, I just realized and, uh, that, was back, that, that was back. That was back back at Geekers when they were only doing vanilla WoW because that's all that was out. Well, this was after that. Well, the Iron Heroes. That, the pirate, the pirate game. game was first, and then, yeah, I know that's yeah. what I mean. Like the Pirate game, we didn't have a recorder. Yeah. It was vanilla WoW back yeah. then. Pirate game, I'm actually not too proud of that because that fell apart. Like at the first few sessions were good, but after you guys cleared Mexico, it was kind of uh, uh, by having the god lift yeah. us over the continent. Yeah, but I, we didn't give up. We didn't give up our all of our guns. Yeah. So yeah. you know. Anyways, um, yeah. we're just getting we're reminiscing now. So. That that was a exact. I mean, what about you for maps? Like that was um, my best use of a map in a game. Was that game? I don't. I didn't use. I them still have that. Box I didn't though. use them too often. I think the one I best used was the one for Divine Fire. Yeah, just the the layout of the compound because. Okay, I, did you show us that, or did you just have it in for your own reference? Um, I showed you. Yeah, and it's basically just to. Yes, uh, it would be in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, remember I was just using that to okay. Uh, well, like well, if you want to do that, you have to get to this building over here. Yeah. What could be in there? Yeah. What's it going to be? I mean, that's good because that's sort of like giving us, you know, what's behind door number one, door number two, blah, blah, blah. Let's make it, you yeah. know. Of course, uh, led to uh, like, it's like, well, like when you were getting the uh, meat, like, well, like, well, I technically can't see what it is. Like, then there are the gurneys in the room. Son of a fucking bitch. <laughs> What I yeah I think probably what I would do now if I was if if you're mm. doing another divine fire game where that particular scenario is whenever have not encounters per se but like if a player walks near this building he sees this or he know, hears this or he hears this uh, if he spends too long out in the cold he takes the, he has to make this kind of check or take damage or something mm. like that. And you know that that kind of thing, just to add some more about travel and your are in the environment, and you know there's shit going on, and because again it was like okay here are the things where again just kind of in abstract RPG territory. Um, I mean you can't you can't totally flesh out everything, but you can't. I think as long as you make one or two places sort of stand out. I mean that and the experience of traveling that that's what really makes games oh yeah unique. So. Uh, I mean, you know, and I think uh, so. Yeah, what other things about traveling? I don't know. 
we we kind of I think we've kind of covered about everything we can. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so I don't know if you. Uh, well, actually, one thing I want to mention is sort of the, the the one the last thing is the the traditional use of the map, which is well the the actually the uh, which is the player made map. Which is, you know, again, in D&D, is you take out your graph paper, the GM describes this room, and so I got a 50-foot-long corridor, 10 feet wide, three doors, one to 15 to the west, one to the north, one to the south, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a, there is a kettle in the middle of the room. It's magic. Why is it magic? It's purple. So? It's floating. Oh, yeah, that's magic. I, I don't know. I'm still skeptical. <laughs> so... There's a, I mean, we've never really done that kind of game where players mapped. And I, I have played a couple of games like yeah. that. I didn't care for them. Yeah. Because it's, it's been like you know, if I'm playing, playing I guess, if I'm playing a game like this, like I could just play a video game. But the thing is, I, I, I mean, making a map as you go, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I think, I mean, the problem with that is not the act of doing it. Because it was like – I love the idea of doing it is because we're never – it was the execution. It was actually trying to do it because inevitably what would happen is that we couldn't draw the map equal to what yeah. – even even remote – it was like a game of telephone. But it's like it been <laughs> through 30 permuta- you know, thirty people and the last guy was blind and just <laughs> – you know, and this was just one person. It, it was so hard to draw exactly what the gene was describing. So – I mean, I love the idea of drawing maps, you know, players having to stay mm. – because it keeps them focused on the game because otherwise everyone's just like, oh, it's not my turn. Uh, smartphone. Uh, read the book. Uh, make a character. Uh, talk to somebody else. You know, uh, go – you know, whatever. They, yeah. they, they lose focus. But I just wish there was a way to have players have to make maps but in a way that they don't actually have to be cartographers. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Some sort of like note taking or some sort of sketching out of, you know, because I think one thing, you know, we did use a map in, well, actually, I can't talk about that. There was a map that was used in a game that has yet to be posted where it was a flow chart. Uh, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, we can't talk. Yeah, about we can't that. talk about that. But that was really cool. Mm-hmm. I really like that because we get to we got to choose. We only got to see what was around us in that flowchart area, and I think maybe something like that where players you know have to draw where they like maybe just draw a box like we're here here are the exits and they sort of have to draw their own flowchart. And then I had to think about uh, because then you have to think about more spatial things. Like I could see a really fun scenario where like the opening of the introduction is like you all wake up, you're in this mysterious area. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Okay, we're in this mansion, right? Or we're in this, you know, abandoned village or whatever. And mm-hmm. so like, okay, draw it out. And so you like, all right, we're here, all right, there's a building over here, all right, you know, very, very simple. And then later on, Oh shit! Bad guys are coming. We have to do something about it. Well, what do we do? Well, that's up to you guys. Uh, well, why don't we go to the logging cabin? You know, the log mm-hmm. cabin over here, and just set a sniper up yeah. here and do this. Or there's blah, another. Blah. I, there's a game like that. I think we once did. It was uh, and this was a long time ago. Yeah. But it was um, it was basically the, it was the, that a signal was going through uh, TVs and well, yeah, and it was driving everyone in this town insane. Oh my god, that was uh. That was the, that was an adventure I wrote. Yeah, uh, but I remember. Like, but you had a map of the town, and we pleasant used glades. I want to say something like that. I mean, it was Some, a long time ago. Yeah, but you, you had a map of the town, and we had to use it to plan yeah. how we were going to do things. Well, yeah, but I want, I want like 
Maybe I should do this as a one-shot and see how well it works out. Like, players have to map the area. They start out in some unknown area. They have to map it. And then later on, that map, that area becomes important because after they scout it, something happens to it. and Or something, they realize, oh, shit, we forgot something. There's something in this town. Or there's a killer walking around stalking this town or this place, and we have to trap him or we have to hide from him or whatever. And where that that understanding of spatial relationships you know like that this place is over here and this place is a great shooting gallery or this would be great for an ambush is very important you know what i mean, yeah, I know what you mean. like what wait could he see us from there no he couldn't there's even though it's a you know blah 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 uh the 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 tree would be in the way or something like that so um maybe that's something uh to, to sort of file away but thinking about because i like the idea of players having to 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 do maps or something like that but i just the problem with the D D style mapping is that it's too detailed it's too hard to do it that way you know mm-hmm. to have like get graph paper like five feet five feet all right draw one little box here draw oh 90 degree angle of course as an experienced thief i would be crawling on my hands and knees searching every square inch for traps oh yeah uh because that's too much there has to be a happy balance between being an actual cartographer and, and the thing being is that, yeah, like, I think my problem when I did that, it started to feel too much like work. Yeah. And that's not what I'm here. There it for. should like, I like games where players take notes and they, cause they want to understand mm-hmm. what's going on and they want, cause they want to, cause they like they're cause they're, that means they're engaged in the story. Because that means that they, they oh shit, all right, the nurse's name this, doctor's name this, we saw this weird book in this thing, you know, oh, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? You know, like that, that's, that's, that, I love seeing that. That's a sign of engagement. I mean, don't you? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So the, the question is, how do you get that, you know, talking about spatial relationships and like, um, and how do you get, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe a partially completed map and the player has to finish it, or maybe they have to put in the names of the place. Um, or maybe just figure out one or two important details about a map. I don't know. I, that's something that, to sort of ponder maybe for a future actual play or something like that. Yeah. Um, I could put in Night's Black Agents. Uh, actually, yeah, I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's son of a bitch. They're, it's going in right now. Yes. Good. It's good. Like, yeah, fuck you, players. Yeah. Fuck you. No, I want you guys to be engaged with the game. So like Engaged in your death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, well, character I'll, sheets are cheap. I think I'll forego playing a cannibal in this one. Yeah, no, you will not be allowed to play a cannibal, Tom. Okay. Yeah. Because you just, have to play a, a spy, not a serial killer. Potato, potato. <laughs> Tom, we've talked about that. No. All right. Um, well, I don't pay attention when we do. Yeah, no joke. Uh, so uh, I think that kind of clears. If you have any uh, comments, questions about maps, about travel and games, uh, feel yeah. free to post them any, on the forums. Any funny anecdotes or stories that you've heard about, about those kind of things. Or particular great game, maps you've used in games. We'll read them on the air. I'm kind of a map nerd. I love looking like pictures of maps and stuff like that. Like One of the things I bought for my trip in China was a, was a 1930s map of Shanghai. And I don't have a place to hang it up. That's it. Yeah. kind of puts me. Actually, up. that's one of like the biggest for like just for a fun project back in the day. Yeah, I just designed it was back in the days of like the Sega Genesis version of Jungle Strike, those kind of ga- oh, strike yeah. games. I did this whole island that was a big terrorist base. Yeah. First, I did it on one piece of paper, and then I did the grid. Yeah. And then I drew every single grid on another sheet of paper, describing yeah. what was there. Yeah. RPGs, are, tabletop RPGs, don't really get the exploration down. Video game mm-hmm. RPGs do, because again, like you found secret five out of a hundred in like, New Vegas. <laughs> I'm like, all right. It's like, it's like, oh hey, look, a 
Daedra, like Orlok at Daedra Shrine. I didn't know that was here. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. That's a good feeling. And tabletops don't really get get that. I mean, we and we talk about the reasons, but try and bring a little bit back would be nice. So um, your players will appreciate it. Yeah, you will too. So, anyways, uh, next up we have Tom, who's going to talk more about a Seattle trip. Yeah, as a uh, a Midwest, a bred and born Midwest kid going to <laughs> a coast. And then after that, we have, have uh, shout-outs yeah. and anecdote from Better Angels, <laughs> uh, where Aaron is uh, gets to play a demon, and we'll 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 give you a little hint about how that goes. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. And we're back. It's it's me. And uh, yeah, so Seattle, quite a thing. So uh, I mean, I think the I just have to admit the I think the coolest thing I actually got to do there was the uh, EMP Museum or the Experience Music Project Museum. Like the building is really trippy to look at. It's like it look it just looks like a wave of like an actual wave of metal like. From the, apparently from the air, it's designed to look like a guitar. And uh, but at the time, they had they had a horror movie and science fiction exhibit in the museum. So they had one of the original you know silver balls from Phantasm there. They had uh, one of the original alien costumes. Uh, they had like you know they had uh, Sean's shirt from Shaun of the Dead. All of course, and then the science fiction stuff. They had Captain Kirk's original chair with tribbles. Next to it, they had Neo's coat from the Matrix, one of the original lightsabers Luke used in the first Star Wars movie. You know the good ones. <laughs> yeah, I said that. So uh, the result, you know, that was like we did that the first day, and also uh, I got to experience Pike's op- Pike's Market, which is like the big open air market, uh, which I had never seen anything like in my life. Just. Uh, Pretty much anything that you can spend money on to buy is there, and uh, they've they've got fruit I've never seen here. And as I was, uh, we we went there every day just to, I just picked out something I'd never heard of before and ate it. It was quite good. And uh, of course, Ross, you know, challenged me to eat something with a face. I didn't go that far. No, I didn't do that. But uh, there's also. Uh, Driving along on a bridge, uh, my aunt, who lived, my great aunt, who lives in Seattle, pointed out, like, over there, that's a Bill Gates compound right there. Which, I admit, you know, it was one of those kind of things like, oh, well, I must see this. Yeah, that, that thing's not a house. That's compound. That's the kind of place you could actually fend off, not just, not just zombies, you could fend off an invading army of actual living people from this place. It was quite impressive. And of course, Chinatown. I had never seen a Chinatown before. That was well, you know, Ross, who's been to China. I'm sure he's seen it in much greater detail than I. Yeah, technically, every town is Chinatown in in China. In China yeah. They're just called towns there, or sometimes cities. Yeah. Well. Yeah. If well, and uh, the the sky was clear, so it wasn't entirely. <laughs> yeah, it was Beijing. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen stories about that. I've. And you've I've, you've tasted it. I've inhaled it. How was that? My my throat hurt after a few days in being in Beijing. Dalian, it's not so bad because Dalian is by the sea, so they, they they blow that a lot in the ocean. But 
Beijing's inland. It's not. Yeah. Of course, you know, I did the Space Needle. Yeah. Yeah, if you go to Seattle for the first time, you've got to do that. And I found myself, and I so I found myself on the top of the Space Needle with a croissant and a hot chocolate just staring out <laughs> into this Puget Sound. Just, okay, I'm doing this. It was one of those things like, I'm doing this shit. This, this feels right. One of those things I've you know never done before that I'm now actually doing. Got a willpower point out of it. Yes, I did. <laughs> I left there like I'm feeling good, feeling good. And you know, I'll say, but my God, I thought Starbucks were plentiful here. It's there literally was a situation of a Starbucks across from another Starbucks there. Yeah. And Lewis Black was right. When you're standing between those two places, time stands still. But it, yeah, went to the top of the Columbia, you know, the Columbia Tower. I didn't think you'd do that, but like, oh, I'm going there because <laughs> uh, that's like, wow, an actual skyscraper. I've realized I've never seen one. I don't think. I mean, Indianapolis has a nice downtown, but I don't think they really count. Small skyscrapers. I mean, small. Not not yeah not Seattle big. No, and, and never bitch, mind. And never mind when I go to New York in April. Yeah, it was son of a bitch. Yeah, but yeah, it's just a completely different city. And I was hearing languages and shit. That, <laughs> seriously, I, it was a new thing for me. I mean, yeah. I remember. I, I was once again. I was. I was like twelve when I went to Washington D.C. I, you know, I didn't appreciate it. Now that I'm, a, I'm a, technically an adult. Going there is just I'm hearing I'm hearing shit that I've never heard before well, I have heard before but not in this volume. You know, like in China, you know, Chinatown, especially like the, the they have there's this big Asian market in Chinatown that I went through and there's yeah, you, know, you know, going like just going through the going through the meat aisle was just okay. This is that has some faces on it. That's got this is this is some actual shit here. Uh, yeah, and also I. From the mid, you know, being from the Midwest, most of the fresh fish we get here is fresh water. Well, yeah. So having actually now having some fresh, sea, you know, saltwater fish, there's no comparison. There's there's just not. Well, catfish here is delicious. It oh yes, that's but it's one of the few we have that is really really delicious. Yeah. But I had so like my my aunt actually cooked dinner. I my I have some cousins there. We had a big family get together there, and she made this really awesome fresh you know cod. Just, mm. ugh, awesome. It was. I I normally don't care for fish that much, but I made an exception there. <laughs> but it was mainly just experiencing cultures that I never have before, at least on any, you know, appreciable scale. Right. It, yeah, it's like I have seen people of Asian persuasion. <laughs> I have seen them in Springfield <laughs> persuasion. Yes, I have seen. I've. I've seen I've seen them walk across the street. They they do things remarkably similar to the way we do them. Yeah, but that's I was actually felt like I was actually experiencing a a, a culture that wasn't my own, yeah. as opposed to just seeing seeing one. It's like seeing something. Right, right. It was actually experiencing it. Yeah, especially walk, especially Chinatown. Like walking, like I don't understand a word that's being spoken in here. Yeah, I know what that's like. Of course, I was a horrible, horrible monster. I went to this open Asian market, yeah, and they had a food court in there, yeah, which was like they had like a Vietnamese place, they had a Thai place, uh, Vietnamese, a noodles. Korean place, oh noodles. But of course, where do I end up eating at the place? You ate at McDonald's, didn't no, you? No, 
There was a burger. There was a. There was a burger place at this uh, food court. Oh, Tom, no. Although I did okay, okay. There's another place that's really awesome called Katsu Burger, uh-huh. which is actually like tempura hamburgers. Uh-huh. This uh, the guys like this guy uh, was a chef from Japan who wanted to yeah. mix American and Japanese. I ate there. That was really good. You know, the best uh, Mexican food I've ever had was actually uh, a, a little hole in the wall restaurant I ate at in Tokyo. That's fucked up. No, it was amazing. Is what it was. I, I still, I'm not the concept. I, no, I'm sure the restaurant was great. It's a Japanese chef who studied in Mexico and uh, Arizona. He spoke Spanish, some English, and he was just an amazing cook. He really fucking loved Mexican food. It was well, really fucking good. A lot better than talking. Oh my god, that chocolate <laughs> chicken. Oh god, chocolate chicken. Yeah, this is that. Oh yeah, because this, this was chocolate as it was originally served. Yeah, as a, it's spicy. Yeah. A lot of really, people don't know that chocolate was actually originally served as a spicy drink. It was really oh my god, oh, it's good. <laughs> Ross is like drooling now. Oh, that like, oh, it's so good. I still remember it. I like blue tile around the wall. I think it was in Shinjuku. Uh, it was just yeah, so small. And I yeah, so yeah. and also I got I I actually uh, I rode a monorail there for the first time. That was cool. Like from I actually didn't. I I one of my few regrets of the Chinese trip is that I didn't. Ride the mono, the the uh, maglev or the the monorail that they have in the Beijing airport mm-hmm. or Shanghai, well, Shanghai. Well, this was a, this was the monorail left over from the uh, '62 World's Fair, yeah, uh, which my mother had attended. That was yeah. the last time she was in Seattle. She told me, but yeah, the uh, the Space Needle. It was, and the monorail which connects that to uh, one of the downtown malls. Like uh, I, we got to go on that. It's two fifty a ride, not bad. That's pretty good. That and also they have a really great light rail system that. Yeah, if I was so thankful. That's one of the first things you realize. Like, uh, oh, again, mass, mass transit works when you do it. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, again, for the listeners who are not native or near, have never been to Springfield, Missouri, our public transit system are consists like, of buses, very inefficient buses. Oh my god. Yeah, very slow. To get from one side of town to the other can take about an hour. Yeah, and this is it's a it's a it, the city again is spread out. It would be like a. 15 but even going the other side of town unless it's rush hour traffic it'd be like 15 minutes at the mm-hmm. worst uh driving to city suites yeah so i i do love going to large cities where there's actually mass you know subways or or efficient buses or something mm-hmm. like that and you can actually travel from place to place on foot and you can actually get around on foot to foot it's just such a weird experience uh, this was I, my, I mean we took i mean it was a tour bus we took in washington dc yeah. back then we did ride that. We rode the Washington subway one time. Yeah, that was it. So this, I actually felt like I'm getting around this city, and I don't have a car, yeah. and I can do it, and it's affordable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the sheltered people of the Midwest. So yeah, here, yeah, it's one of those places. I love going to a place you don't need a car. Yeah, that was amazing to me. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, what what you what stands out in a trip or not um now we do have some shout outs next but there there is uh you do have some more to talk about the trip but that's the gaming stuff I yes talk about that's that the gaming the, stuff the anecdote the the running eclipse phase for people who don't like it yeah. well it's seattle is a kind of a haven for independent indie games yeah the indie storytelling kind of thing so uh running is like running a mainstream game wasn't really their cup of tea yeah but we'll get to more on, more on that in a bit. All right, we'll be back in a second.
we're back. All right, so we uh, got some shout-outs. I got some culture, and we got shout-outs. Yes. Uh, I've been doing a lot of reading this month. so He has. Yeah. Seriously, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Lots of reading. I try and read more. Um, I try to read a lot, but I because of the internet and things like that, I, I don't always get to read as much as I should. It so does. anyways, uh, fortunately, I've been trying to catch up. Um, first, I would like to give a shout-out to Shipbreaker which is a novel I'm reading right now. I'm halfway through it. I'll, it should be done by the time this episode is posted. Uh, but I've read enough to know I should recommend it to you guys. It's a YA dystopian science fiction novel, young adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that doesn't mean it's you know too simple or whatever. It's like Hunger Games, you know, Hunger Games level. Right. Uh, and it's about uh, this this young, this kid. He's like 12, 13. His name is Naylor. And he basically is a shipbreaker. What he does is start of the novel is him crawling through the ducts of this ancient, this uh, abandoned super tanker, you know, oil tanker that's been beached and they're breaking it apart. And he's going through the duct work to find the copper wire and pull it out. This isn't exactly an OSHA, you know, no, <laughs> no, I don't imagine place. it would be the child labor kind of gives it away. So dystopian future, global warming's happened, obviously. Uh, oils run out or oil is very rare and things are just generally terrible. So it's his very hard scrabble life. You know, very people live on the edge of survival, just barely getting, just barely living. And they, they do any, any, just even a little bit of, if they can find a little bit of, like a pocket of oil in one of these oil tankers, they could, they could make enough money to get out of debt slavery and become their own man, you know, and be, they're like, oh, lucky strike. He's a guy who, who still works on the beach, but he has enough money because he found this oil pocket and snuck it out one bucket at a time that he bought off his thing. And, uh, oh man, we, I we, that's, that's their goal. That's like winning the lotto. Mm-hmm. And, Obviously, you know, things do not stay status quo. Uh, they find – and I don't want to give much away. But it's, it's, a, it's a fast read. It's a fun read. It's great material for dystopian science, post-apocalyptic type games, uh, even dark modern games. Because these shipbreakers, if you type in shipbreakers India, you can actually see what these places look like. Because they're, they're re- they really exist. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before in the podcast. I, know, I think I mentioned it to you in real life. Uh, there, you know the Exxon Valdez, right? Yeah, you remember that ship? Yeah, totally. Do you know what happened to it? Uh, I do. I know it was eventually towed off Bly Reef during the incident. But. Yes, they didn't sink it. They didn't scuttle it. Then they fixed it up, and you know when it was broken up, finally retired hmm. last year. It was hmm. been on the oceans ever since, and just still, you well, because you know that's we're talking several billion dollars worth of equipment. No, well, they're not that. They're not that expensive to make. They're, they're millions, hundreds, tens, maybe, hundreds t- of ten, million. ten. They're they're made pretty cheaply. Let's let's be honest. You know, I don't we, know. We've I'm sure had... ship ship nerds will tell us what. what Actually, right. it costs. What do we, yeah, the price is right. What do you say the price of a <laughs> super tanker? Yeah, the Exxon Valdez is. I say sixty five million dollars. I say a hundred. Hundred. Who's right? Find Who's out. Who's closer? Yeah. Without we're going not, over. We're not, and we're uh, just for the listeners. Home, we're not looking it up on Google. So, anyways, it was broken up last year, and it was they like t- tow them to these places, or they just finally get them to this place in India where they just beach them, and then these welders with torches and hammers literally just just tear the whole like, thing. Like go like termites over the over yeah, it. like uh, what are those ants that skeletonize uh, that like uh, museums use? Domestic beetles. 
Uh, is that what they I use? I think they're beetles. They're beetles? Okay. Well, you know, that's, that, that's the metaphor. Flesh eating beetles. Yeah. yeah. It's just, they, 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 well, they don't even leave the skeleton behind. It's just gone. They, they just get everything out. And so that's a great setting for any kind of scenario. Like oh, a yeah. spy game, you know, like a Jason Warren kind of game where like, oh, the bad guy's undercover. He's he, he he's trying to pose as one of these shipbreakers or one of the – Where one he has manager. his hideout in one of these abandoned ships. Yeah, exactly. And there's shipbreakers all around, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we'll have the fight. Or post, post-apocalyptic thing, people set up a tent city and just live off the scavenge for that or, you know, any number of things. So shipbreaker. It's mm, nice. It's, yeah. It's on Kindle. You can get an ebook of it. It's, uh, you know, eight, nine bucks, whatever. Sounds good. Or print if you want to use tree. You want to kill trees. What are you, some kind of horrible tree killer? I am. You are. I am. Anyways, uh, Tom, you, what about... Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a movie. Uh, <laughs> it's a movie we watched Yeah. with riff tracks, but it was, it was an amazing <laughs> movie. Nemesis. Oh, we didn't watch it with riff tracks. Yeah, we did. Nemesis? No, you're right. No, holy crap! That's we actually watch it without it. Yeah, it, it's not out for Riftrax. It yeah, should be. It should be. It should be. But yeah, this that might be a little too yeah, a little yeah old. But man, this movie Nemesis, like if, cyberpunk futures, <laughs> you know, like future dystopian stuff. It's directed. It was actually directed by the guy who did direct Cyborg, the Jean Claude Van Damme vehicle, yeah, post apocalyptic one. Yes, so you can see some of the influences there. But it's. <laughs> I honestly, I don't know how to describe it except <laughs> the plot. I, I can't even really describe the plot except these. There are bad guys looking for the main character to kill him, mm-hmm. and he's a cyborg, and they're more cyborg than he is. Yeah, so much so like they don't even bleed; they just spark and yeah. This is the game. This is the game. It's, it's the movie where the characters, the gunfights, have they shoot so many bullets. Even at hardcore action, he's like, "Really? That's a bit much." Where even Michael Bay would be like, "Really?" really? Yeah, Michael Bay would be go, "That's a bit overboard." Yeah, that's a, that's a little too much shooting. But uh, I mean, there were just so many. There's so many specific scenes that just we we had to back it up and just watch them again. It's just be like, did that really just happen? I think the, 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 the yeah the one the, I think our favorite yeah. Uh, oh yeah Aaron made a uh, animated animated gif out of should we describe it oh you should you, you, all right well a guy there's a, one okay, of the bad guys one of the bad guys uh, you know I got a cyborg they're kind of like uh, men in black sunglasses yeah. suits suits very serious he's basically he's carrying this it's it looks it's, like a Browning M2. It looks like a, it's like a futuristic Browning M2. It has like one of those, but it has like a smart gun harness, kind of like from yeah, Aliens. Yeah. So it's you know this swivel mounted, huge, massive machine gun. He's going advancing to this room where he thinks the hero is. And, you know, he goes in like, and he stops at the doorway, and then pulls out a handgun. <laughs> it's always like, okay, now I'm ready to enter. <laughs> uh, we're, we we're like, what? <laughs> We we had to stop it, back it up, and watch it again. <laughs> Caleb was losing his mind. <laughs> but, all right, so you have this gigantic machine gun, like, but I gotta get my pistol out too. <laughs> <laughs> You're dual wielding a giant ass machine gun and a handgun. I mean, yeah, it's 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 what the if you didn't think the machine gun was gonna work, if you go into those that cramped room, why are you even using it at the first? And, uh, and I, and I thought the shooting a hole through the floor scene to escape was uh, was was, un- hero. Okay. was unrealistic in Underworld. Yeah, 
This time he doesn't. Underworld not, obviously was doing an homage, obviously to Nemesis because Nemesis he doesn't. Just, he doesn't go through one floor. Yeah. Yeah. he goes through like six floors. Yeah, the hero is trapped by the bad guys in this hotel. This hotel scene is just oh my god. Yeah, just yeah. The words fail to describe the, the sheer amount of gunfire that is <laughs> in the in, in the movie in general. Mm. And he's like, oh shit, I need to get out. So he just takes. He has two machine guns and he just you know shoots a circle around himself. So he crashes through the floor and then he does it again and, and he, again. And, and again, what I really love the the really the bit of genius, genius in that <laughs> film in that in that particular scene is the the POV shot of him going down through the floor with the legs. You can they 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 set the camera up on these fake legs. They're yeah. supposed to be the hero's legs. So it's like you're looking, you're the hero looking <laughs> down, seeing yourself crashing through the floor. And you can see how uh, ridiculous it is, but there it is. Yeah, it's just like they went to all that extra work. They could have just done the side like, shot of him just crashing through floor through floor. Yeah. But no, they do the POV shot. And then Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat's in it somehow. There's just, yeah. it's just yeah, and. One of the guys, one of the replicants from Blade Runner, is in it as well too. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at. I I don't know what I'm looking at. At the end of it, I don't know what that story was about. Aaron does. He was the one paying attention, but of course he was. Yeah, he was. He uh, he and I did have a very heated discussion about whether the bad guys were cyborgs or androids. I say they're cyborgs because they say in the movie they're cyborgs. But he was like, no, they're androids. I'm like, Aaron, you have to respect the movie. If they call them cyborgs in the movie, that's what they are. Yeah. So. So that's my first one, Ross. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another book I read, uh, this is actually a very obscure Lovecraftian horror f- uh, novel from the 60s, 70s uh, called The Great White Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's from Basil Copper, uh, who's an English writer. Uh, and he was. this is a very much a Lovecraftian pastiche uh, set in the 30s. Uh, and it's the narrative of this photographer who was on this expedition called the Great Northern Expedition. And it was him and like this guy, Professor Scarsdale, who's just this, this Viking-like <laughs> man of action, but he's also a scholar. He's just like the prototypical Lovecraftian call Cthulhu player character, yeah. you know, maxed out on all stats. And three other pro- academic types. Three other, uh, you know, fodder. Well, academics. <laughs> I mean, like, um... And it's the book's out of print, but you can get on a used copy on Amazon for like five bucks. And it's it's an interesting read um, as a Lovecraftian. It's very very much uh, I think influenced by August Derelith's that Derelithian school. Yeah, and I haven't read very much of Derelith, so I you know I know a lot of people put them down and stuff like that. And I've read I. I think I've read uh, the Gable. Win- I've read the Gable Window, and I think that was him. Yeah, um, I, I, that that sounds right. And it this isn't like you know oh this is good and evil battles of forces. It's very much a middling atmosphere, and it's because it's out of print. I'll just kind of spoil it because you know if you if you want to read it, you read it. But it's like a two hundred page novel. It's out of print. Blah blah blah. So they the the Scarsdale wants to go to this place. He's been almost like this underground city and beyond the city because he's read a Lovecraftian tomb called the for some reason called the Ethics of Yigor. I don't know. Yeah, the ethics. I don't know. I, I, for those listening, I shrugged. Yeah, when I heard that, um, I thought the ethics. You know, maybe the secrets of Igor would make more sense. Uh, the mysteries of Igor. The mysteries. Yeah, but ethics. Anyways, the philosophies of Igor. Anyways, obviously he he found out that there's this this gate to the where the great old ones are or something like that. Right. You know, the great white space. Um, 
so he, Scarsdale, before the novel started, had gone to this expedition to find it, the, the, the city that was mentioned in the book, and he, he gets like halfway there or gets most of the way there, but he can't cross an ri- underground river. So he's like, fuck. So he comes back to civilization, recruits the narrator, the other people, and then they go on this expedition to go back with more equipment. Mm-hmm. And they have – like they also describe these tractors. They have these five armored tractors that are each set up as a mobile command base with like – 1930s technology, but enough range on them to travel hundreds of miles through the desert uh, and through these underground places. <laughs> and they're like incredible. Like I would love to see like they're, they, they a lot of page spaces devoted to kinda describing like, how these kind of like Dead Reckoning from you know, Land of the Dead. Uh, something like, well, they're they're meticulously engineered. You know, okay. the fine, the, they're not they're not jury rigged or anything like that. They're they're just precisely engineered. There's a lot of page space is devoted to these tractors, and they just kind of. But you can see the whole reason for that is is so the narrator can explain how these five guys get all the way ass out and just just nowhere all, nowhere without having a huge like hundreds and hundreds of porters with them. You know, dozens mm-hmm. of guys carrying stuff with them, and they find the tunnel. And the tunnel is precisely engineered, much too large, much too precise to be made by human hands. And they're like, oh, this is weird. You know, they, they, they keep going on, they keep going on, they keep going on. And this novel is just like – it's literally 150 pages of buildup and then 50 pages of batshit insanity. I mean that's how it works. <laughs> and so they find the, the place where Scarsdale had to stop, you know, this, this underground lake mm-hmm. river. And so they get out of the tractors. They get they get these rubber boats out, and they they go on their merry way. Oh, they also have this trolley cart. It's like basically a big shopping cart, but they have a machine gun in it, and of they course. have grenades because like we got to be armed. And it's like what I love about this. There's so many things to love about this novel because it's so unusual for a Lovecraftian novel because it's got all these pulp elements like the tractors mm. and the, the trolley cart yeah. of guns and Scarsdale being a man's man of men, you know. And the narrator is like. He he was he was specifically recruited by Scarsdale for a few things. One, he was a photographer, really good photographer, who'd been out. Two, he was also really strong and tough and whatever. And he'd been on all these other expeditions, and he'd been in all these other dangerous places. It's like I need a tough man for of action for this. And he's like, all right. And third, he has no curiosity whatsoever <laughs> for literally 150 pages. He's like, I trusted Scarsdale. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what I we trust- were trying to do, but. I have a huge heart. I love me some guy. Like, there's like you could do a whole subtext about how this guy he just cannot pr- do anything but praise Scar. Like Scarsdale was so tough. He was so brave. It's like Dick Marvel. Yeah. Oh my God. It was it was just like that. And Scarsdale. Now I I I it sounds like I'm making fun of this novel. I'm not. I like I I I find it fascinating and it's it's a, it's an interesting read um, for diehard Lovecraft fans for a diehard Cthulhu Mythos fans. Because it it doesn't mention anything directly, but it's very much just Lovecraftian pastiche, and it's just so different from all the Lovecraftian novels. Because literally, they don't encounter any monsters uh, for the first 150 pages. They don't encounter. There's just build up an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. There's just this, this abandonment and isolation. There's nobody else. It's like there's they're they're in this this utterly super remote subterranean place in the middle of nowhere. There's fucking nothing. There's just nothing of nothing. And like, I thought I saw something. No, I, I was just going crazy. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and then in the last – when they finally get to the great white space, shit just goes fucking bad quick and it gets – it's crazy. And, you know, obviously only the narrator makes it back and, you know, he's like, oh, God. Ugh, the, oh, the sides are coming. Oh, ugh, you know. Uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. How, how those kind of novels end. And it's just – 
an interesting little read. And um, I know it made me think about doing travel and expedition games and that kind of stuff. And you know, Caleb's game fall without end, doing a mountain X, climbing expedition. That's a whole game because it's not just getting to the place. Mm-hmm. It's getting back from that place. It's yeah. like one big thing they talk about in the Great White Space is like we left behind a lot of supplies here so we could use them on the way back. You know, we left a lot of supplies here. We got multiple tractors and we only really only need like two of them. We got five just so we could – or four of them or whatever uh, just so we would have ones to come back to in case something happened. And then we have a trolley cart full of guns and like even towards the end when everything's going crazy, like we have to get the trolley cart because we need those guns and grenades. We'll be lost without us. I have to get the fucking the trolley. It's like a shopping. Just imagine a shopping cart full of fucking guns and grenades and like we have to get it. That's the mission. You know, just like wow. that's that's awesome in so many ways. So. Um, anyway, so you recommend it? I recommend it if you're a diehard Cthulhu Mythos fan. If you really love the, because you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's so weird in terms of the structure and the payoff, and you know, some parts you're like, eh, some parts you're like, Ugh, you know, it, it kind of oscillates between that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I you can borrow it. I'm done with it if you want to read it. Mm. So it's a quick read. It's 190 pages, so 198 something mm. like that. Uh, I, I have another one. Yeah, this <laughs> it sounds like no, no. I'm not, I issue, but this one I can't believe I didn't didn't think about. No, we did watch a riff tracks, and yeah. it, and this the movie of it must be talked about. McBain, <laughs> literally, that's the name of the movie. McBain, yeah, starring Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, yeah, yeah. and uh, wow. <laughs> It's, it's, it's just like mm. okay. This is okay, it's a 1990 movie, but this is an 80s action. But this is all 80s all the time because it's first it starts in Vietnam and it's just the like these six soldiers like this heard hey the war's over well then let's leave <laughs> and so they do but then like they're on their way home they see like but they see like a a vill- like a village down below where there's like armed troops like we should go check it out there could be prisoners down there <laughs> which when you're leaving a war that's what you do well i mean it's kind of rude but, not know, to but you know they rescue christopher walken yeah. who has you know he's being forced to fight in a, an arena yeah and you know they rescue him and then of course one of the guys then there's like 18 years later and one of <laughs> And one of the one guys, guys killed. One by, of the guys guys killed. Manuel Noriega, but in Colombia. Yeah, like the Colombian El Presidente. Yeah. And then his friend, you know, his girlfriend slash wife slash whatever. Yeah. You know, goes to McBain. Goes to goes to McBain in New York, and that's a really quick trip she made. Talk about travel yeah. from Colombia to New York. It's like it shows her like it shows all of these villagers giving her each one giving her a little bit of money so she has enough to make the trip, and then she's there. Yeah. And then they just the journey back to Colombia is just now. I mean, there's so much to talk about this movie. But like, oh, there's one thing in particular. Uh, okay, which one? When they're flying into Colombia. Oh yeah. And like the Colombia, like two jets from the Colombian Air Force start following them. Yeah. And one like you know, pulls well, up. One, one comes up first. Yeah, one and comes then up there's first. There's two later on. Yeah, they come up and you know he's doing the uh, you know under air aircraft. You're entering our airspace. You know you must land now. And the pilots. You know, doing this, and you know they're looking, and you know they're well. And there's one more thing I'll talk about or later after this, but you know the you know pilots flying, and you know Christopher Walken's riding shotgun in, yep. in the other plane, so he just leans over, points a pistol, <laughs> shoots 
through his window into the cockpit of the fighter, shoot, hitting the pilot in the head, which then the plane rolls over and crashes with no apparent cause, you know, no apparent depressurization yeah. from being that high they up. They do show a bullet hole, and gla- it hasn't even fractured. It's just a neat a little tiny, hole. A tiny, neat little bullet hole. Yeah, and the, the thing I, I really loved about it is that we watched it with Aaron too, and, and Aaron. This is Aaron was losing his shit. Oh my god! Yeah, he was. And but th- over what he was losing it over. Yeah, one of the characters is a surgeon. Uh, like uh, after the war. Yeah, after the war, he's a surgeon in a New York City hospital, and he is uh, a not a resident. He, Aaron's thinking, well, if he's been, he's been there, there 18 years, yeah. he's making he a must, lot of assumptions. He must be yeah, head of the department or something like that. Yeah. Aaron, just throughout the entire movie, we're watching him, is like, why is he, how could he leave his job like that? How, why would they not, you know, how could he, he's a surgeon, he can't go to Columbia and do this. He can't, he can't go, uh, to, you know, take over a country. He, he, he it just like, wouldn't work. And he didn't stop. The whole movie, he didn't stop. Even after the movie, he just like, that was the mountain he could not, not climb. That was the one, the one out of all the potholes, out of all the impossibilities. That is the one he just. First of all, make, so making a lot of assumptions. Uh, they're fair assumptions, but, but I mean, there are. But also, like a surgeon can leave his job. Well, I mean, his point was. I mean, he he was making good points. I mean, yeah, that, that is a lot, plot hole. I mean, like if you're you're highly paid professional, you would basically be fired if you went off, and people would be like, "What the fuck are you doing? Why are you going off to fight a war in South America? Or why are you disappearing?" But this is McBain we're talking about. We've already crested more impossible oh, things. Oh yes, oh yes. Like rebroadcasting a live execution, rebroadcasting a live execution on from Colombian TV. Yeah. Into America. Yeah. Forget Unc- the times. Uncensored. No, no, no. They, they, I could even plausibly buy that they broadcast it live once because they didn't know it was going to happen. But they rebroadcast. Like, McBain doesn't see it happen live. He sees the nightly news, which heads off with like, oh, this dude got shot in the fucking head. And here it is. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. So, like, out of all the things to get hung up about. That wasn't even the most, like, not even the top ten of the most impossible things about that movie. <laughs> not even the top ten. I mean, maybe in the top ten of non-physics-based improbabilities, oh, yeah. but in the overall top ten, no way. Because physics, like, again, the the number one thing is the the shooting the dude in the face. You know, <laughs> in from, a jet. Yeah, in a jet. Uh, and so, you know, Michael Ironside's arms dealer yeah. having fighter planes, and well, it was the eighties. Still, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. That that would not, not even that's not even in the top ten. Um, well, maybe maybe that ten. Anyways, that's that's a very good. It was it's a hilarious riff tracks. It's video on demand. You get the whole movie, not just the riff tracks. So enjoy that. Enjoy watching it. Yeah. Um, next up, a short story that I read, or it's kind of a long. Yeah. Are you sure it's a short story? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alliteratively. Uh, it is called The Upper Birth. It's a ghost story uh, by Marion Crawford. It's a... Ooh, scary ghosts. Yeah, it's it's considered one of the better ghost stories, uh, written ghost stories of all time. And it's a, it is a very excellent uh, ghost story. It is very creepy. Uh, but I love it. It was written, you know, like around ni- late 19th century, or I I wanted, I think it was written in 1905. Uh, I, I should look these up before I actually... You should. Them. I should, but... And I could do it right now. But that's but not how we roll. That is not how we roll. Uh, it was written about the time when, you know, men were men, women were women, and everyone else was a servant. Uh, you know, it's basically like these four guys, these couple guys, you know, 
sitting around drinking brandy, smoking cigars, and there's and literally the story starts like, oh, we ran out of shit to talk about. Oh, he was talking <laughs> about the railroad and how they got steers around in railroads. Like literally, that's the yeah. first thing that they were talking about. And then it's like, oh, and then there's this guy over here who's a very tough guy, who's very manly, he's very bad. I thought he was the bravest man. It was like, oh, he's a paragon of you know strength and virility. Blah blah. It's like. I saw a ghost once. Like, what? Oh, oh bring more cigars and brandy and <laughs> we shall hear of your story, sir. And it's like, well, oh, all right. This is impossible. How could you? Uh, then he tell. Then it gets into the real story. So I love the framing device. The framing device is great. And the upper bird is about like I got because back then people got around on boats. They didn't fucking, you know, take plane, uh, take uh, you yeah. know, airplanes because they didn't exist yet. Uh, or they, if they did, they certainly weren't going across the ocean. Uh, so it's like I travel a lot and I like taking boats. And so I got I booked passage on the ship and I was going to Europe. Uh, and I, I got in room 105 and it was blah, 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 blah. And then it's like. Oh my, my compatriots! You know, well, there's some weird-looking guy I don't like him, and he's oh, he booked the other room, bed in this room, bunk in this room, or berth, and then he runs out in the middle of the night and I don't see him, and then next morning I find out oh, he he died, he jumped off, he, like we don't know where he is, he, we assume he jumped off the ship. Oh, that's weird. Well, why don't you not be in that room anymore? Because that shit's haunted. Like, what? And then it goes on from there. It's public domain, um, so you can download it for free for. Whatever ebook reader or you want, or you just read the text file online. It's 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 a fun read, and it's, it's about a guy traveling and dealing with this fucking ghost. And like, um, I really enjoyed it, and it's nice. just it. I just read it. It's a, it's it's a well written ghost story. So and it's free. Nice. Yeah. So sounds good. Yeah. Mary. The interesting thing is, Mary Crawford. Like, uh, I got the Project Gutenberg version of it, and there's a, like a sappy love story at the the last half of it. That I was like, oh, it's the Watchers of Paradise. <laughs> Like apparently those are this more popular than ghost stories back then, which still is actually kind of true. So, oh uh, well. Anyways, uh, you were talking about one of the RPGs you like called Apocalypse Worldly. Yeah, it's one of the games I played in uh, Seattle. Interesting game. It's um, I kind of like it. It's 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 obvious. It's well uh, from the name, you know, it's a game, an apocalyptic game. Like I what I, I liked about it is you don't. No, like the uh, the apocalypse isn't chosen right away, and at least that's why, I, as I understand it, goes. You choose a character archetype. Mm-hmm. I played the mask, yeah, which is you know the guy that always wears a mask, and uh, all of his strength derives from it. Yeah, you know, kind of no, like, like yeah, it'd be yeah. like like the Lord Humongous. From, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah, no, that's and you. Um, that's you, and it's basically, and then he says, okay, like in this opening, like all right. So what kind of what kind of apocalypse was it? And so we, we the first part of the game is us describing what the apocalypse was. What was it in your case? Uh, runaway like like highly uh, highly advanced runaway evolution. Basically, it's the, like the whole you know ecosystem of the Earth just went bonkers. Went bonkers, and so now like you know wild growth you know, man, you know meat eating jungles have taken over all the cities and dick dick. So that's the way, and I was. I was playing a guy that, you know, it was, we were doing like some city, it was like a city in Colorado. It was near, near Nora. It was actually near Cheyenne Mountain, which is like apparently like one little bastion of, it still has power and everything. Nice. And I'm a guy that I'm playing the mask who is never let inside <laughs> because he's extremely dangerous and violent. Oh. 
but it was it was a fun. We didn't get we didn't get through much. We only had like three hours before we you know had to move on. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting game. I think it's you know as, as indie games go, I think it's pretty cheap. It's definitely worth a, a, worth yeah. a try. I'll have to I'll have to get it. Um, the only reason I haven't bought it yet because I've heard a lot of good things about it. Pog of the world is I've heard that the only person who, who ships it is the guy who wrote it, Vincent Baker, mm-hmm. and he's not like very good about doing that so i've been kind of like i don't want to wait four weeks for the book to come so if there's another way to ship it or i'll probably pick it up at gen con this year so uh yeah so that's good um let's see here oh i read another book Uh, of course you did part of the preparing for the tokyo game uh speed tribes uh it's a book written in the mid 90s about these japanese youth subcultures well not just youth but like you know yakuza right uh the ultranationalists, the otaku, the schoolgirls, the working girl, like office girls, the porn stars, uh, the skater punks, you know, and just how they try and fit in and what the, the conformist nightmare that just Japanese society. Well, seriously, they have some problems, but you know, <laughs> our society has problems too. We're who doesn't, we're all really fucked up. I mean, humanity's fucked up. Yeah. So it's, it's a, a fascinating read. Uh, obviously it's a little dated cause mid nineties, but I mean, how much does Japanese culture change in terms? I mean, obviously the the fashion trend, trends might change, but the overall uh, essence of it, I think, would be very right. spot on. So, uh, very good book. Uh, There's another movie we watched that you liked. Actually, we all liked. Yeah, it's uh, the Devil's Rock. Yeah. And this one was recommended to us by none other than Mr. Adam Scott, Glancy. Mr. Adam Scott Glancy yes. himself. I just did a little salute there. Yeah. And uh, basically, that was good enough for me. Yeah. But uh, if Glancy's like, hey, you guys should rewatch this movie. It's really good. Like, we shall do this. Yeah, he mentioned this on the Unspeakable podcast uh, that, you know, Sky Glancy talks about in great length on that podcast. Uh, for us, it was just the fact that they did so much with such a low budget. You know, it was a very, like, like one location. Yeah, movie. like five or, I think they're like five or six cast members. Yeah. But yeah, very. Only if, really three principal ones. Yeah. And very well, very well done. Very well acted. Uh, the prop just caught, you know, uh, the design for it, production design for it is very excellent. So, yeah, good movie. It's, a, yeah, like, you know, occultism. Yep. And it's on uh, Netflix. So, so, what, down, so watch it. Well, finally, for a uh, last shout out, uh, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've watched the whole, the whole series. Uh, sadly, it only went to two seasons. Mm-hmm. It's canceled after the second season. Uh, both seasons are on Netflix, so you can watch all of it. It's a hilarious half-hour Canadian show about a heavy metal uh, stoner and his sidekick and uh, two girls. Also and a book, that's not the, a book that's not the Necronomicon. It's not the Necronomicon. It's the book of pure evil. Mm-hmm. And that's every, totally every, every, every week, basically, every episode, some student gets his wish granted by the book, but it's obviously an evil, twisted way. And the Todd... Mm-hmm. Has to fight the book, you know, stop the evil from destroying the school. He fights evil, and it's that like it's a town founded by Satanists. So it's like Alistair Crowley High. <laughs> yeah, their mascot is a goat. So yeah, uh, it's pretty badass. So those are our shoutouts. Go and go, go, go check forth. Those out. Go forth, my minions. Yeah, <laughs> um, partake of the culture we like. And finally, uh, we have some anecdotes. We do. Yeah. I went, so I say you should go first. Okay. Uh, yeah, because you can talk about your Earthless Way thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we're playing Better Angels. And uh, probably by the time this episode goes on the air, we will already have had 
or it won't be very long before we have the the actual play that this that I'm that I'm getting San Diego from. But for those of you who don't listen to the actual play podcast, this is a good this is a just a little sample of it. Uh, in Better Angels, the premise is you are a human who's been possessed by a demon. The demon gives you superpowers, but if you sin too much, he will drag you to hell, literally. So, and if you if you don't sin, he won't give you the superpowers, and you're kind of stuck with him. So the idea is like, well, what if I'm evil but ineffective? That way, I'm still really doing good and i'm keeping i'm neutralizing this demon you know mm. so it's kind of like jumping on a grenade and taking one from the, the the team of humanity uh and then being able to do some cool shit with your superpowers anyways because you know why not so uh the our characters were just doing a, a one shot where we're all already established super villains and so we all make our characters and that takes a while and we're all triska deska triska deka uh, 13 supervillains that rule over flyover states, you know, the Midwest, mm. the American Midwest. Well, yeah, we, we rule over it. Yeah, more or less. And so I, being uh, the paragon of originality that I am, uh, my supervillain is called the Defenestrator. I <laughs> shamelessly ripped him off the Garth Ennis comic, Hitman, and I, I'm just basically making him. And in our first in our first scene, everyone is fighting a rival supervillain who everyone thinks is a superhero was really another demon. And I literally just grab a bank, go up into a building, grab a bank executive and throw him out of the window. Yeah, Cause that's who you, that's what you do. But in a way that doesn't kill him, it terrorizes him and hurts him, but it doesn't kill him. So that's all I do. I'm a great <laughs> supervillain. <laughs> and, uh, then, then uh, okay, so but later on, uh, we 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 the, the the gimmick in Better Angels is each player controls one human and an, another player's demon, and the Caleb's come with this house rule already for it because this game is still being playtested. It's not done yet. Uh, it's not it's not out yet. It should be out this year. Um, so Caleb's come with this house rule where we can get plot information if we make a deal with the demon, but the demon has to get something in return. Mm-hmm. And so we're all making up deals like, oh, go co- basically commit this sin and I'll give you the information. And so I, Aaron's playing my demon. He is right. the Defenestrator's demon. And uh, I think the demon's name is the Covetous or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so what he does, at first he asked me to like, do something utterly ridiculous. It was, well, not ridiculous, but like a really heavy sin for just some information. It was like, like no, ki- thank you. Yeah, I was like, kill, kill these people for me. I'm like, that's a big sin. No, I won't. So later on, it's like, well, I kind of want some more plot information. So how about this, Aaron? I'll literally steal candy from a baby. <laughs> if you give me that information. Because I figure, oh, that's simple. That's the license. All right. Then. Yes. And candy for a baby is mother's milk. That's literally what Aaron says. Yeah. It's in the actual, and we just like, oh shit, Aaron just brought game. He is, yeah. she just laid the gauntlet down. Uh, so everyone <laughs> just freaks out at that. And we, I'm just like, Aaron has a moment. A yeah, great Aaron's moment. like, what? I didn't think that was that bad. He's, he's, dude. He's, <laughs> dude. Take a bow. Yeah. God damn. 
That is evil. Um, and so I just steal breast milk that some that some mother has pumped out. You you know on her uh, yeah. on her lunch break. Yeah, on her, on her lunch break. Um, and so I just steal it from the refrigerator, and that that counts. Uh, and Caleb's like, "Oh God, this game got weird quickly." <laughs> and like, yeah. well, that's a da- game about demons. I, th- I think and- I was like, "Hi, uh, have we met?" Yeah. yeah. Well, demons and Faustian packs. It was going to get weird. Yeah. pretty quickly. But yeah, Aaron. Had, that was Aaron. Aaron had a great moment. Yeah, he he was a little uncomfortable a, a bit about it though. He wasn't like, "Oh, that I thought it was a thing." Yeah, well, not in that voice, but you know what I mean. That's our Aaron voice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, our. I don't want to do that. So, good times. It was yeah. It's it's uh, we're gonna finish up the one shot on Monday night, and uh, then I'll post it, and we'll see how that goes. And uh, then after that, Caleb's gonna start the campaign, which is set in a high school. You can read about it on the RPPR forums and blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah. So, Tom, tell us about Eclipse. Yeah, phase. so I, I I offered to uh, run you know run an Eclipse phase game for me. I thought, hey, I've only run one game of that so far, and so you know I go there, and it's. Essentially, it's uh, my friend, our friend Andy, who moved there to basically start work on indie games of his own, and one of his friends, and one of my friends who came with me. So, and it was basically uh, kind of an uplift noir type story, yeah, like like an, a crowded uplift neighborhood in a yeah one of the main the main cities on Mars. Yeah, yeah a, a prominent you know you know beacon of the community gets murdered and. They're playing like they have like this invest private private investigation agency. It's you know pretty you know, pretty you know pretty straightforward, and it's it, it leads to a uh, like a hypercorp former hyper elite that has uh, basically put himself into like a neo orca body and is now li- just living a totally different identity here, trying to hide from the corporation that wants to kill him, and it leads to that. And I ran it and. Um, I had pregens, which I have recently discovered. I kind of discovered that they, the, none of the players liked having pregens because they apparently, you know, they they said like, "Well, I don't feel I had any connection with the character at all," and like, "Well, no, this is like I have I've had three and a half hours to do this game, so character creation would take at least thirty to forty percent of that, especially at the clips phase." Yeah, especially if you only have one copy of the book and nobody's played the system before. Yeah. So I mean, so there's that. So I think they all uh, to begin with they weren't too they weren't too thrilled, but you know I got I got through it. They and they were you know they were they seemed to be into it, doing the stuff role players do. But so when I, but when I came to the end of you know when I came to the end of it you know the story and they they I, th- I thought I did some really good action scenes because I know all the players in that group they love good cinematic action scenes. And so it was all over, and I was like, okay, so hey, what'd you guys think? And they're like, well, your story was really great. I mean, it's a really great, fun story, but I don't like the setting or the system. Uh, yeah, they, they, in fact, uh, my friend Andy said, yeah, this would be better if it was just a game from, if this was just a game run from one of, you know, one of your, one of your games or something instead of Eclipse Phase. So it... Apparently they liked my story, liked the idea, just didn't like the setting or the rules. They didn't get specific on it, or what? no? I, that's they never really did get specific. Hmm. I mean, uh, well, one of them said that you know, as he brought up they brought you know, brought up the uh, fact that you know, so I, I like I felt like I didn't have any connection to my character. I really wanted, you know, like when I saw that I gave when she you know when they got the character like. Does this have to be my name? Like, well, no. Like, do I have to be? Do I have to be a neo avian? Well, yeah, I'm not going to change that. Yeah, that's kind of significant. 
And you know, like, and of course, the, you know, their name, their backgrounds. Like, well, can I change? It? They wanted to change stuff around to make them make it their character. Like, well, this is a one shot. Yeah. So I mean, I, there's a lot of that, and uh, I mean, a lot of indie games now they do character creation as part of the adventure, like you're mm-hmm. talking about yes. Apocalypse World. They did. Yeah. So that's kind of a trend, and you know, Clipsways is more of a standard. I wouldn't say standard, but traditional role playing game where character creation. And it takes up. You can't really do it as part of you know the but, adventure. It's kind of a separate phase. Well, then I've discovered that mo- a lot of gaming groups I've heard in Seattle yeah. don't want to play like big name games hmm. in those systems. They they don't want to do D anD D. They don't want to do Eclipse Phase. They want to do like the independent the independent stuff, right? Which that's fine, but it's. It struck me that of all the things wrong, like it says, no, no, your story was great, but just don't like that game. Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, not everybody likes every game, I and mean, we we've never really given Savage Worlds a fair shot even after we played that one game of it years ago. Were you even part of that? Savage no, I wasn't. World? Okay. Um, and I know Savage Worlds is a good system. I just, you know, somebody who wasn't very where we didn't really get into his game, and we just kind of like, eh. So I never really gave it a fair shot after that. Well, I just I never I never you know I had other systems to try. <laughs> no, but that seems to be a regular recurring trend for us. Well, I think it's most gamers. I think game, every gamer, whether they're doing D and D or you know Apocalypse World, they get kind of caught up in one mm-hmm. thing, and you know it, it just takes but, a lot of energy to get out of that. But I was surprised that was the one criticism. Is just yeah. no, it's the game. They just didn't care for it. There are people that are, you know, have complained that uh, Clip Space is too complex. There's too much. I crunching. happen to love it. Well, yeah, no, we've kind of made it work for our crew. But yeah, I think we just have. Remember, from I, I'm, the not comments, say, I, I'm not saying they're wrong either. It's yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I don't share people's opinion on certain things. Yeah, but it just that struck me. That just struck me as kind of strange that that was the one thing. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like judging from the comments in some of the episodes of Eclipse Phase, we are not very good at getting the rules right either. So, but then again, I think we make that work for us too. Yeah, uh, yeah, we probably should do an episode just talking about how much of the rules can you get straight, and how much does that really matter? Mm-hmm. Because you know, it's the rules are obviously important, but like games, I think you know they just have so many rules. You you really you just cannot keep track of all of them. You know, you're no. not a computer; you can't simulate. You know, encumbrance well, rules. Just wait till the sing- just wait till the singularity happens. We'll get it. Yeah, that that's yeah. I'm looking forward to that. That's not gonna. Oh uh, come on, role playing in an actual eclipse phase type technology. World. Yeah, well, the technology, sure. The the setting, not so much. Not 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 a big fan of having Titans show up, Tom. No, I mean, but you know, Earth with all this tech, all that tech. Yeah, well, they kind of go hand in hand because it's kind of that. That's kind of how it works usually. We don't have to have the Titans, Ross. They kind of happen. Well, they didn't want. They didn't have to have the Titans in eclipse phase, but they still happen. We can have a world with that tech and not have Titans. For a while. For a while, Ross. But then again, we will know what will happen. Yeah, yeah. We'll just, we'll be the ones. <laughs> it's like, dude, we knew this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to Mars. Uh, we'll be safe. Or the moon. There. Yeah. No, Mars. We're getting, fuck, get, fuck, go all the way out there. Go, go. Just, we'll just keep going. We'll go to Europa. You'll be fine. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Anyways, uh, this has been RPBR episode 83, Maps and Legends. This is Ross Payton. And I'm Tom. And we'll see you guys next time.
the streets and the fields and the woods that I know by heart. We are the day as the times.